Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Reverend Skyler Vogel, the senior minister here, and thank you for watching. What follows this introduction is video from our service on February 28th, 2021. The service was entitled What the Mandalorian, the Bachelor, and the Senate have in common. In this video, you will hear the reading and reflection from our service. And after that, I hope you'll join me and Ember Kelly, our Director of Religious Education, for our lively discussion as we go deeper into the service theme together. We invite you each week to check out our video and audio podcast posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and any of your favorite podcasting streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review to like or comment or share and subscribe to help spread our fourth universalist media further. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. Today's reading is by Adrienne Marie Brown, a noted thinker around social change. Brown self-describes as a writer, a pleasure activist, a sci-fi slash Octavia Butler scholar, a facilitator, non-active, a speaker slash singer, including wedding singer, and a doula living in Detroit. We read an excerpt of her new book, We Will Not Cancel Us. Mushrooms are a great teacher in this recentering work. One of our oldest ancestors, mycelium or mushrooms, show us that the instance of life we can witness, the mushroom, is always evidence of a much more complex and wider network of connections underground. The same thing is true with conflict and harm. We are all connected to each other at our best and at our worst. The instances of visible dissonance, harm, and abuse in movement are evidence of toxicity in our intersecting systems of identity, belonging, resource, power, and home. One toxic substance is desirable to those suffering from it. Sorry, I skipped a lot. One toxic substance is supremacy so ubiquitous that it has long been invisible to those benefiting from it and can seem desirable to those suffering from it. It manifests as white supremacy, male supremacy, ableist supremacy, straight supremacy, cis supremacy, and more. The belief that some of us are normal, are better, are justified to take and do whatever we want, including harm each other and the earth. We won't end the systemic patterns of harm by isolating and picking off individuals, just as we can't limit the communicative power of mycelium by plucking a single mushroom from the dirt. We need to flood the entire system with life-affirming principles and practices, 
to clear the channels between us of the toxicity of supremacy, to heal from the harms of a legacy of devaluing some lives and needs in order to indulge others. A simple question. What do the Mandalorian, the Bachelor, and the United States Senate have in common? They have all been involved in recent cancel culture controversies. For the Mandalorian, it was after fying an actress who had made offensive Instagram posts. For The Bachelor, it was their host stepping away after defending a contestant for attending a plantation party. For the Senate, it was everything from Senator Josh Howley losing a book deal for supporting the Capitol riot to trying to get Senator Ted Cruz to resign for vacationing in Mexico. The term cancel culture is relatively new. It only became popular around 2017. Essentially, it means the effort to punish individuals or companies for doing or saying something deemed bad. Usually this canceling begins on social media. Momentum builds online that something unacceptable was done. The pressure is put on the person to apologize or for the powers that be to take some action. The person is often fired or deprived of their platform, their job, their reputation. And they serve then as a cautionary tale for others. Now it should not be unexpected that can cancel culture is controversial. Congressman Jim Jordan called it the number one problem in America. The number one problem. The critiques out there are many. Some feel it is unforgiving and punitive, seeking not to teach or offer restorative justice, but to destroy. Others feel it equates true offenses, blatant racism, abusive practices with small mistakes, misunderstandings, or simple carelessness. Still others see it as a weapon in the culture war, deployed selectively towards conservatives to push a liberal agenda, punishing those on the right simply for their political views. The accusation is that the left simply claims that any conservative views are offensive in an effort to silence the right entirely. Many of these concerns about cancel culture are rooted in fear. Now I understand it myself as someone who speaks publicly most weeks and often on sensitive subjects, the idea that a misstep, a poorly chosen word could lead to my whole character being questioned or me losing my job is frightening. And it's happened to people before. It is also true that for many people, the norms of society have changed while well, they have not, sometimes from their own stubbornness, but also because of their situation, who their friends are, their cultural background, what media they are exposed to. What was acceptable 10 years ago may not be anymore. And for those not plugged in with the latest trends, they feel like they walk on eggshells, not knowing where the cultural tide of offensiveness has moved. When small mistakes are committed by people trying their best, cancel culture can be cruel. As, and it enters 
our culture more deeply, we have to ask as people of faith who wrestle with right and wrong, who, who want to create a more just and loving world, what role should cancel culture play? Now, I know for many of us, we have been taught from a very, very young age that hurting people who is bad. We have been taught that if someone expresses remorse or says that they are hurt, but we should make them not suffer anymore. We should help them. We've been taught to forgive others that have wronged us. I remember Jesus's words about forgiving someone, not seven times, but 77 times. As Unitarian Universalists, this can feel like an obvious route to go when it comes to cancel culture. People shouldn't be canceled. They should be forgiven. This is especially true because the origins of our faith ground us in this idea of universal salvation. The idea that each person is loved by God and ultimately will be forgiven for the sins they commit. The implication is that we too should be like God, forgiving. No one then should be canceled. If someone has wronged us or messed up, the universalist thing to do would be to remember our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Now this may seem like the loving, generous, and compassionate way to respond to cancel culture. And there are times when it is the correct response. But I think it is based on two false assumptions. The first is to assume that most of the people being canceled are generally innocent people trying their best, rather than people who have repeatedly doubled down on hurtful language or actions. There have definitely been times when cancel culture has been abusive. Think Colin Kaepernick, Janet Jackson, Monica Lewinsky. Most of the people actually being canceled and the ones that people are complaining about now, though, are not people like them. And they're not normal people like you or me. They are, in fact, mostly powerful people who abuse their power and believe they are above consequences. Most often, it is the abusive boss making your life miserable, not your well-meaning family member on Twitter. When conservatives claim they are being silenced, they are not being canceled for their views about lowering taxes or balancing the budget or deregulation. They are most likely being canceled for their racism, transphobia, or encouraging riots following the effort to overturn an election. Secondly, when we focus on the needs and feelings of the person being canceled, the offender, and obsess about extending them forgiveness and grace and kindness, we forget the other half of the canceled equation, the actual victim, the person who has really been harmed or hurt or made unsafe. Being against cancel culture seems reasonable until we recognize that those against cancel culture are almost always more concerned about protecting the offender than the victim. It centers the person in power and their needs and their feelings, rather than the person who has suffered, been put in danger, or had their humanity undermined. So at its basic core, cancer culture is not about punishing people who are vulnerable. 
It is an instrument of accountability, often deployed by the masses who individually might find themselves powerless and have maybe historically been powerless, but through social media can now insist on accountability for the powerful. It's a tool that shouldn't need to exist. If our institution and our society policed themselves and ensured that bad behavior had consequences, but they do not do that. And so people on social media have to do it instead. We make a mistake if we feel that cancel culture is about free speech or about the First Amendment. It is actually pure capitalism. Companies making decisions that protect their bottom line. It's not about silencing a person. It's about expressing people expressing their opinions freely. We have a right to express ourselves, but the right to demand to be liked or respected is not a true right. Being deeply unpopular, being called out for your behavior or your words is not the same thing as being persecuted. There is so much outrage out there about cancel culture. What bothers me most about it, beyond all the smoke and the mirrors, beyond all the grievance culture and false claims of persecution, is that it forgets about who is actually canceled in our society. It is not Josh Howley, the senator of Missouri. He didn't get a book deal and complained about free speech, but then he got another. And he's still a senator who can say anything he wants at any time. He was not canceled. It's not Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor, who may be off air temporarily, but I'm sure he has enough money to join Ted Cruz in Cancun year-round for the rest of his life. He will be fine. And it's not Gina Carano, fired from The Mandalorian, who was immediately offered a role in a film produced by Ben Shapiro. Their momentary inconvenience does not equal societal crisis, nor warrant the panic about cancel culture. Instead, it distracts and shields us from asking the realist question, who in our society is actually being canceled? Who is actually suffering from being silenced and pushed aside? It doesn't require a whole lot of creativity to think of who they might be. Perhaps it might be one of the millions of Americans of color who are imprisoned at vastly disproportionate rates to their white counterparts. You can't get much more canceled than prison. Or perhaps it is a child who based on their zip code or their immigration status or their race, who is far more likely to remain in poverty, go hungry, not graduate from high school, make far less money. They are effectively canceled from birth. Or maybe it's the trans teen, cast from their home by their parents, forced into homelessness and into danger. Or maybe it's the millions of people living in states right now trying their hardest to pass voter suppression laws. What's more canceling than stopping someone's right to vote? These are the real cancellations we should be worried about. The ones that actually destroy people's lives. The cancellations that do not have the benefit of the sympathy afforded through 
fame and wealth and political grievance. So the next time you hear someone complaining angrily about cancel culture, ask yourself, why do they care so much about the temporary inconvenience of the powerful? Ask yourself where the comparable outrage is for the man in prison, the child who is hungry, the teen on the street. Ask yourself who truly needs grace, who truly needs forgiveness and compassion, who needs the message of universalism. I really wish we lived in a world so pure with a kind of cancel culture that Jim Jordan feared was indeed our number one problem. It would mean that we actually cared enough to first uncancel the millions of Americans who are now silently disposed of each and every day. It is for their cancellation that our universalism grieves. It is for them that we must commit our outrage, our concern, and our love. That is the real cancel culture we must oppose. May it be so, and amen. Well, Skylar, you picked a slightly more uh, controversial topic for, for today's one that's very present in our, in our social dynamics right now that lots of people are talking about, but I think that it, it seemed very relevant to the moment. Yeah, I think it is. We're seeing a lot of concern about cancel culture, a lot of a lot of conversation around its negativeness and a lot of tying it with uh, grievance culture, frankly. Um, it's being highly politicized. I think it's easy to fall into traps about what it actually is about. Uh, and when people use the word cancel culture, um, how they're they're not using it in good faith. And so I think it's important that um, we have this conversation, both through our service, but also through this conversation around what we really mean when we say it and, and what we don't mean. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things when I came out of the service and was having a little conversation over lunch with, with my wife, uh, it's, you know, always the, the debrief time for, for thinking about the service. We, we thought a little bit about uh, a moment that we had shared with uh, someone maybe a bit more of acquaintance to me, but someone that she had known growing up. Uh, and we had gone to school with him and actually to seminary as well uh, for my first round of seminary. And so he is a pastor in a slightly more evangelical conservative Christian denomination. And he uh, had it come out in the, in the social media world. Someone publicized on the church's page hey, your pastor is a member of the Proud Boys. And so this, this kind of came out in the, in the social media world, but it came out to all of us because the, the way that he decided to address it was to make jokes about it on his personal page and to make jokes about uh, the person who made the allegations, mental health, and to just say, you know, that this, is, this is a joke and like, this is ridiculous. But at no point did he actually disavow that he wasn't a member of the Proud Boys. And so as, as a friend, I, I thought it would be important for me to not, not cancel him right away, but to have some conversation. But uh, in the end, uh, it, it, it turned out that he just refused to have any conversation, even though I came in and I said, this is a chance to be more pastoral, for you to repudiate racism, for you to help your congregation realize why membership in such an organization could be a bad thing. But instead, 
uh, him and all of his friends piled on to cancel me and to uh, really, um, you know, uh, say that I was being ridiculous for being so sensitive uh, when all I was doing was trying to uh, help him journey away from something that I thought was was not uh, very pastoral. So uh, that, that's, you know, I have definitely been involved in lots of online arguments. So I, I do understand the concept of cancel culture, but even uh, on like a personal level, he wasn't someone I was trying to ruin his life. I was merely trying to to help him grow as a person. And I think that, you know, uh, people sometimes don't want to do that growing. Thank you, Ember, for sharing that. I, I think it's a powerful story and, uh, and emblematic of these challenges, right? Um, of both cancel culture and also these questions about call in versus call out culture. That was an example where, where someone did something in a way that um, uh, was not, was not ideal, right? That uh, you know, refusing to disavow some association with a racist organization, an organization that um, is hugely problematic um, by any stretch of the imagination. And you tried to call this person in, right? And invite them into deeper thinking. Um, and instead of hearing that and listening, you know, you basically ended up getting getting called out and canceled and bullied online. Um, I think it speaks to a, the, the challenge with this work, right? Um, a lot of the conversation that happened that I heard after the service today was um, about cancel culture and its relationship to call in and versus call out culture. Um, and I think that's missing the mark a bit because cancel culture is not the same thing as calling in or calling out. And they don't necessarily have much to do with each other in the sense that most people who are canceled in a significant way, you know, we talk about some, you know, people in positions of power and even people in our own lives, chances are like with your, your friend, Ember, there has been multiple attempts to call them in and only after they refuse or are flippant about it, um, that they, uh, that they get to the point where calls begin to say that they should be, they should be canceled. Um, and that's true with the examples we spoke about in this service, um, whether it's Mandalorian or bachelor or senators, there have, there have been documented many cases of people trying to have personal conversations with those, those people who have been canceled. Uh, and having those not 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 go anywhere, and so it's not really about you know can I if I'm nice to this person they'll listen to me and then I'll and then the world will be a better place. The question is not should we try to do that first. The answer is obviously yes if we can if we can have a personal conversation that's empathetic and compassionate, inviting in of course, but when that doesn't happen what then and what what and what is our role particularly as citizens in a society where I don't have the power to go talk to Josh Howley and tell him that I'm that what he's doing is problematic, right? I don't have the power to talk to Chris Harrison and be like, maybe you shouldn't have structurally created a, the Bachelor to, you know, to draft obvious racist people as contestants on the first time you have a male black Bachelor, right? Like, I don't have the power to tell him all those things, but you know what? People have been telling him those things, and he didn't act. And so our power as citizens is to go online and to make a stir and to threaten to boycott and to and to call for accountability with people and so you know can't call in and call out culture is great for individual relationships if you have those but it's not always safe first of all because some people are dangerous um you know i ember i think you would agree that if you were a, 
a person of color trying to call in a potential Proud Boy member could be dangerous. Um, and you may not feel comfortable with that. So calling out may be the only safe way for you to interact with that person um, online. And so I really want us to, to not equate those two things, right? That we talk about canceling somebody, it's not vicious. It's often a reaction that comes following a huge amount of effort to call that person in and their rejection of it, right? And sometimes they're flaunting of it and stubbornness that basically says, I don't care, I'm gonna keep on hurting people. Um, and only to that level are people, I think, justly canceled. But so often our examples that we think about are just in that way, in the sense that Gina Carano was called in many times, Chris Harrison was called in many times, certainly senators like, you know, have been called in many times, um, and yet it doesn't work. And so what options do we have to protect other people from the abuse that they offer, right? And to say that these behaviors are unacceptable. If they're not willing to negotiate in good faith, have a conversation in good faith, then they shouldn't engage with the population on a national level in good faith. Oh, definitely. I, you know, I think while, while many of us may think that we are very refined and, and not beholden to celebrity culture, um, I think it's important to admit that celebrities, that well-known politicians, that, uh, you know, folks that, that have this national profile, whether we like it or not, they're, they're shaping our national dialogues, they're shaping attitudes on things. Maybe people who don't know any better are hearing them and just assuming that everything they say is true. And so, like you said, we, we don't always have um, a one-on-one -on -one connection. Uh, the, actually, what came to mind uh, was that uh, a Twitter mutual, back when I was much more active on Twitter, uh, regularly got into arguments online uh, with uh, Roseanne on, on <laughs> about, tr about trans issues and about uh, wow. race issues and, um, you know, kept trying to have good faith conversation like, hey, let's, uh, this, this is not good for you to say this. And then, you know, like, so, so in the case that I actually knew somebody that really could apparently have some level of a conversation, it went nowhere, even in, in good faith. And so, you know, then later on, boom, like it comes out like, hey, she's been saying these kind of things for years and isn't willing to, to change her ways. We're going to take away the TV show. Um, you know, like the, these are things that are often years in the works and that like the, these are, you know, a final attempt to, to really deal with uh, backlash over very real things. And I, you know, as a trans woman, I can't help but think, and a trans woman particularly that chose the middle name Hermione uh, when, I, when I chose my name, I can't help but think of J.K. Rowling. Um, trans folks have been calling her out for probably a good like half of a decade at least saying hey guys like we're not 100% but like there's some pretty questionable things that she said about trans related stuff in the past and you know even now she's still you know she's been called out she's been canceled but it hasn't stopped her from having a brand new book published and billions of dollars in Harry Potter sales every year. Like it is, despite being canceled, it's literally changed nothing um, in, in that dynamic. Yeah, she was fine. She was totally fine. Um, where in many instances, trans people are actually canceled all the time, right? Kicked out of churches, um, you know, uh, Definitely. murdered on the street uh, in huge numbers, uh, disproportionately. Uh, fired from jobs. I mean, there's just like the, the level of pain and suffering of people who are often victims of the kind of culture that people who are canceled perpet 
perpetrate um, is where the real the real sin is. I mean, I think I think I was um, I was disturbed a bit, you know, actually following the service because there was a lot of conversation around around the call and call out and whether or not canceling was cruel um, or mean. Um, a lot of conversation around, well, what about restorative justice? Um, and and I'm all for restorative justice and I'm all for calling in. But if your first reaction to cancel culture being talked about is, well, how do we make things better for the person who's done the bad thing and not how do we make the world better for the person who is hurt by it, then you are siding with oppression and white supremacy and transphobia and uh, and all those things. Because you're basically your first install is to say, well, I want to I want to make it OK for this person rather than the person who's actually been hurt. Um, and so we can talk about restorative justice. That's important. But that wasn't what this sermon was about. The sermon was about people who deserve to be called out being canceled and why it's not actually a thing that we should be worrying about in mass as our society, as some people in our society believe it is. Uh, and so, you know, if, if your first concern is about those people, the Josh Hawley's of the world, the Chris Harrison's the uh, you know, the Car Gina Carano's of the world, remember that they've been given so many chances to make it right and they haven't uh, and that's a choice that they're making and and we have a choice too and that choice is either to coddle them and fuss over their feelings even though they're unrepentant or to roll up our sleeves make sure the people they've been harmed know that we have their back that we're going to support them and worry about their feelings right uh and work to make the world safe for them rather than fuss instantly about oh their feelings are hurt chris harrison's feelings are hurt uh jk rowling's feelings are hurt um they're fine don't worry about them they're okay uh, our job as universalists is to make sure that everyone is okay in and until everyone is okay the people who are way more okay or maybe get a slight ding in their reputation they're still going to be okay. We don't need to worry about them. There's enough people in this world who really are suffering that our attention should go there, particularly when people have been, have been hurt. Um, and the idea that like you can just be okay, that you can just be sort of restored just by saying, oh, I'm sorry, there, there has to be a process. If someone punches you in the face and then says, well, I'm sorry, I realized that was wrong, you're not going to want to hang out with them right away. You're going to want them to go to anger management, you're going to want them to have some some process that goes through that really shows that they've changed before you want to put yourself in a situation where you get punched in the face again right um that's true with abusive partners it's true with abusive parents it's true with any kind of person like that unless they've proven that they're safe we need to talk about that first um and restorative justice is that process of proving that they're safe it's not about trying to alleviate their guilt. It's not about trying to make our own selves feel better to make we, ourselves think we're forgiving. Restorative justice is a process where a person who's done harm does the hard work to show that they are now trustworthy again, and that they actually understand what they're doing, not just offering a simple apology. Because those simple apologies don't actually assure the people who've actually been hurt, those people who are actually at risk of getting punched again. Are, that they're okay. So I really want us to think about that because that's it's very important to not instantly rush into how do we make it all okay again. The answer is we have to do the work to make sure it's actually safe and okay, 
before someone just let off the hook. Um, because these are not necessarily people who really want to do that work or can be trusted to say that they have done the work. There, there is a lot there that I could um, go into, but a, a couple things off the bat that I uh, that came up as you were you're sharing there uh, is well, like so. J.K. Rowling has been spreading like this has very much become like a dominant theme in in trans uh, discussions in the UK, uh, and you know recently there was uh, suddenly a whole legal shift in like hormone access for young people. Uh, that literally stopped people's hormone therapies like in the midst of things because they were young. Like these are concrete things that are happening because of the stuff that like someone like JK Rowling has much more power to spread because she is a you know multi-billionaire. So like uh, what I mean, and I remember I, I remember having that argument like with folks like saying like, hey guys, you know, she's she had some really questionable stuff about like the indigenous peoples of the Americas and her and her magical world series. She had some she had some really questionable stuff about trans folks that she said, and people people didn't want to hear it until like it really finally broke big, um, and then they're like, oh, oh whoops, um, and you know, but I, you know, and I think that that uh, in a lot of communities, like I, I speak in this instance uh, from my position as a trans woman, like that that I mean, it is usually quite easy to tell the difference between an honest mistake, which may be hurtful. It may be a hurtful, honest mistake. Um, I'm not saying it won't cause somebody pain, but there's a difference between that and like someone very intentionally trying to go out of their way and hurt you. Uh, there was a, a time that I spent that I was Catholic uh, and I really loved like, getting to spend that time in the Catholic church, but I couldn't be part of a denomination that was proactively fighting against LGBT people versus just kind of like on the sidelines, you know? So I think that there's, there's a, a big difference between someone who's just like, oh, you know, we're not, we're not going to start like arresting people who misgender someone, uh, but are we going to have the conversation about why it's important to respect people and to understand trans issues and, you know, grow as far as that? I think that, yes, that, that, that can happen, but you can tell when someone like JK Rowling is having this power and is wielding it to intentionally oppress and hurt others that uh, that is not it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not a, a bad thing to be confronted. We should be calling, speaking truth to power. I mean, so many folks, you know, talk about like, talk fondly of like, oh, uh, the bus boycott by Martin Luther King. But like, so he was canceling the bus line, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the boycotts involved calling things out. Like that, that was part of this culture uh, of protest of the 60s was, was calling out this injustice and naming it. Uh, and we shouldn't give up on confronting the power, like just because the power is being like, hey, you're being mean to me. Um, please be nicer. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's so much in it. Like, obviously you mentioned uh, trans folks dealing with like being kicked out of their churches. Like I, um, I recently was sharing with you through the process of, of working on getting myself uh, submitted for consideration on the ordination process in the UUA. I was talking with you about my, my history and other denominations. Uh, and specifically that uh, one of the churches where I was a youth leader, I had built this really thriving youth group and that things were going well, but that the church uh, had budget issues, coincidentally that just led to only me being reduced from the staff. Nothing else changed in the entire church. Uh, and 
despite being you know one one hundredth of the budget, uh, it was my position that was cut, and it was very clear to both the senior minister at the time and myself that the the board and these other members were were making this decision because they didn't want to be seen as the liberal church. They didn't want to see, be seen as the church that has the trans youth leader, and you know that. That's a very real instance of canceling that I literally had my job taken from me because people weren't comfortable with me. Um, you know, they're, yeah, I, I think that you really hit it spot on that it, we need to care more about the, the folks that are, that are being hurt than about those that are doing the act of hurting. Yeah, yeah. I think it really speaks and your story is such a, a, a difficult one. Um, and I am sure it must have been just really difficult to go through for you, but also for for any of us who you know wrestle with how to have our communities really you know do what they say that they are i think it's important for us to recognize that when people in our society today use the phrase cancel culture they are not doing it with a sincere and genuine effort um, to protect people they are doing it uh, to further a political agenda um, and we know that because the right who uses cancel culture language have no problem canceling people that they agree with, they disagree with, right? Um, they had no problem canceling you in that church. They have no chance. They had no problem canceling Colin Kaepernick, who has never worked in the NFL since kneeling uh, to support Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, they have no problem trying to cancel Hillary Clinton and you know the women who accused. Brett Kavanaugh uh, of abuses, right? The, it is a selective outrage. We don't want to be canceled for our views. Um, you know, I said in the sermon, right? Like it's not even about conservative values, you know, to some degree, it's no one's being canceled for believing in a lower tax rate. No one's being canceled for believing in deregulation, right? It's a desire to not be held accountable for deeply problematic ideas. Um, and if the right is successful in fooling people into thinking that this cancel culture conversation is really about being mean to people who don't deserve it. That is a huge loss for this country. And it's, and it's, and it's a deeply troubling development because what their view of cancel culture actually is, is that no one has a right to challenge our racist, our homophobic, our transphobic, uh, our xenophobic viewpoints and our ability to share them. It's not about stopping you know, my grandmother from tweeting, you know, things that are not the best worded things, but, you know, are well intentioned, right? It's not to stop uh, someone who is trying their best, um, but is still learning, right? Um, their view of cancel culture is, is basically society holding them accountable for their deeply problematic views, and it's nothing else, right? And so when we hear that word cancel culture, we have to see it as deeply hypocritical deeply hypocritical. Um, it is a political tool to shield the right wing, uh, people who were happy to literally overthrow our democratic system, um, who are okay with suppressing millions of people's votes, and say that the our ability to criticize that is somehow inappropriate. If we get into a society where we can't criticize people for being racist, for for undermining the basic premises of democratic life. If we can't do those things and, and the reaction is, oh, that's cancel culture, our democracy is gone. Uh, we don't have any hope of, of having a free society that's equal 
where racism is is considered inappropriate. Um, and so people really should think about that, right? It's this is not about being mean. Um, it's not about you and I and other people who are listening to this, right, being called out. I want to be called out if I've done something bad because I don't want to be a bad person. I want to be a good person. I want people who talk to me and who listen to me. I want them to feel safe with me. I don't want them to feel like I don't care about them, that I deny their experience and their humanity. Um, and uh, we should all want that. It's just about being good people together and 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 making sure that we're on an equal, equal footing and learning and not being not feeling we're too arrogant or too formed or too important to 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 have that growth experience. Definitely. What I mean, uh, when when you talked about like how you know you're you're in this position where something you are saying is, is going out to people every week, uh, and you know very much the same the same for me from from my position. Like that, this is a very public facing position, which yes has changed my social media behavior because well a because of the minimalism challenge, but b because I said okay I need to be more responsible. Um, and not, you know, I, I am a public face of an organization now. I should should be more responsible uh, in this, um, you know. And I think uh, that it is important to know that we've surrounded ourselves with people whom we trust, and that are a diverse group of people who will call us out and will keep us accountable uh, if they see us doing something that's bad, so that we can be improving because we do have this desire to be improving. Like I, I hope that if if I screwed up something that I that I have the opportunity to to have somebody point it out to me before it becomes a habit, uh, before it becomes something ingrained in me, so that it's something that I can uh, improve on. That I'm constantly working on improving myself. That that's not a bad thing to constantly be improving yourself. Um, yeah, I you know. I think, uh, and actually, it also made me think that there's uh, anxiety brain. You know, some sometimes does things when you're public speaking, and I'll be like, wait, did I totally just say like a different word? Did I just accidentally let out like a swear word instead of the word I meant to say or something? You know, you, you second guess, like, did I actually say this? Um, <laughs> so it is nice that lots of my stuff is recorded, that I can go back and be like, okay, did not say that. Don't worry. <laughs> it's a real and present uh, anxiety for me as well. You know, I, um, you know, I have certainly been called in and called out by this congregation, um, sometimes more lovingly uh, than others. Um, and part of my job is to take all that feedback um, and, and you know, take from it what I feel like pushes me towards greater understanding and wisdom and, and empathy. And, and sometimes sometimes I, I don't take it because I disagree for a variety of reasons. Um, but, to, but to always try to be empathetic about it, right? And to listen um, and recognize that like, yeah, we make mistakes. I make mistakes. I at one point had a sermon where I was um, I spoke off the cuff, which is something I don't usually do. I usually have my text written out, and I do that partially because I don't want to say something I regret. But in this case, I did, and I I made a, a, I said a, sort of a slip of the tongue where I equated like addiction with with immorality, um, and I, I certainly don't believe addiction is a sign of immorality. It's a it's a biological chemical. Uh, process that happens, uh, you know, that is not about whether someone's good or bad. Um, um, and I slipped up and I, I kind of went off cuff and I said it and, and I got in, uh, I got talked to about it afterwards in a way that was, um, that was firm, but also trusting, right? Um, 
because they came to me and said, like, we think you can you can hold this, right? If we didn't think you could hold this, we wouldn't be in this church. Um, and so I think the, the, the way that we need to get from, when we talk about our own personal call-outs and call-ins, we have to we have to understand that they are an invitation for us to um, to listen to other people, um, and that they're in some ways a sign of trust, right? Uh, you know, I want to be in a relationship with you, and here's how I need you to here's something I need you to understand about myself or about the world that like um, you know that will that this relationship needs, right? And so, if if someone comes to me and says, Skylar, what you said in that sermon really hit me the heart the wrong way, it hurt me. Uh, and I think it did not, or it denied the experience of someone. Uh, I need to take that as this person trusts me with this information and wants wants to be in a closer relationship. Otherwise, they would just leave. Uh, they said this guy's this guy isn't what we want. He's not sensitive. He doesn't care. Um, and uh, it's not vulnerability. It's not. It's not a weakness to care what other people think. You know, I think the hardest thing is that people get defensive, right? They feel like they themselves are being, their their core is being assaulted in some way by being called out, and it's not none of that. It's an invitation to to grow, um, and so when you feel that defensiveness within you, right, which we all feel, I feel that, right? I get a a, a message in the email or a chat, right, that says like, I didn't like what you said. Sometimes it's just mean, um, but other times it's like, I didn't think about that, or I thought about that, but I didn't keep it in, but maybe I should have, right, in the message. Um, and to push down that sense of like, someone's attacking me, I don't deserve to be attacked too. We're all on this journey together, and that's the right thing. And that's how you stop cancel culture, if you're really worried about that, right, is that you get people to listen earlier on before it boils over into a big mistake, right? Look at The Bachelor, right? The Bachelor has been critiqued for years to, about being racially insensitive. It wasn't just about Chris Harrison, it was about their whole structure and their whole way of doing things. But if someone had made a genuine effort to address the critiques of the racism of that show earlier on, and Chris Harrison had taken that seriously, we wouldn't have to have been canceled, but they refused to listen again and again and again because they were defensive, right? Or they, th they didn't think they needed to. And now it's blown up. And this is what we get. I think that is some some wonderful personal and uh, societal reflection to end on. There, I think that uh, we've we've given folks a lot to a lot to think about uh, for this post service reflection. So, Skylar, thank you for taking time to sit down and talk with me. Thanks, Ember, for uh, leading this conversation for sharing what you did too. Yes, and thank you, as always, to our listeners, whether on YouTube, social media, or podcast format. We really do appreciate you listening.